It's cool. You got a book. Relax, pal. Uh, <laughs> so let me ask you this, because this podcast is about change. While you, because you did Kids of Degrassi Street, and then you did uh, Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High. At what point did you realize that the acting was going to change your life? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. I mean, you're just a kid, right? Yeah. Well, it's funny because I was, you know, it's a good question because I was actually just, um, because I'm having an auction coming up soon, I was going through a lot of my old stuff and I know we'll get to that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I was reading uh, articles, things like interviews that I had done when I was a kid. And back then I was like, oh yeah, I've discovered that acting is everything. Oh, I'm totally going to be an actress. Oh yeah, I found my life calling for sure. It's what I'm going to do. And I was so sure. So I guess even at an early age, because I was enjoying it. And I was like, yeah, this is it. But it's funny because when the show ended, like completely ended, um, it wasn't that it wasn't that clear cut. Because I think by that point, I was older. And I was discovering, I didn't go to university. I had, you know, I had turned it down. I was, I had applied and was accepted, like, two different times, might've even been three times. And each time I couldn't commit because I'd get a, a job or, or um, I, at the end of the day, I just didn't commit. And it left me wishing I had explored other things. Cause my problem is I've always had so many interests and it was very hard. It took me a long, long time to narrow it down and to really hone in on what exactly would make me happy and what I wanted to do. So what it's interesting that you have this record at your disposal of the, <laughs> you said of all this old stuff, because you're being interviewed as a child, you know, you're a kid you're, and they're asking you your opinion on things. And yet, you know, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm a 45 year old guy now. I know I don't know anything now. I, I didn't think I knew, didn't know. I thought I knew everything when I was a kid. So it's, it's gotta be, how does that feel going back and hearing, like, do you remember being that person or are you just reminded of it because of the articles? Um, I think I forgot some of it, to be honest. I didn't, yeah, I didn't remember being that self-assured because I was still pretty insecure as a kid, but I think being on the show was what probably brought me my greatest sense of security. It was kind of like our safety net. It was our safe place. We had our group of friends. It was our home away from home. And there I felt very secure. So I think that was a big part of it. I felt like, you know, this is my family. This is, this is great, but it, you know, I was also naive. <laughs> right, yeah. well, you don't have the perspective. We are. Right? You don't have As the perspective. we are. Exactly. And growing up, you learn that, okay, well, they're not really mom and dad. Yeah, right. <laughs> really my family. And they're not going to keep paying our bills forever. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a whole wide world out there. So. Do you remember the first time you were recognized? Like just on the street? Was it, it must've been pretty early on. Yeah, well, I have a few recollections um, that stood out particularly where, um, like once I remember going to, um, I guess, uh, maybe it was like Niagara-on-the-Lake or something with my mom, and we were going to have lunch together, and there was like a group of people that recognized me all at once, and it was a bit overwhelming, so we actually had to kind of ask if we could go out the back door. Wow. (laughs) Um, So that was kind of, that was 
a bit of a wake up call. And some of the appearances we made, I remember going to Syracuse uh, and just seeing like the, the fans that showed up, it was like a sea of people. And to me at that age, that was kind of like, what? <laughs> it was, it was unreal. Cause acting on television. Now I've never done any television acting. I've uh, done some stage acting with stage acting. And there's a, there's an immediate reaction. You get a, a certain type of energy. Um, I would imagine that television acting is, could probably not be unlike being on the radio where it's, it's an intimate uh, act. Mm -hmm. And so you do it, you do it to the best of your ability and you hope that people out there like it. Yeah. Did you grow up wanting to be like, I mean, you started so young. I mean, the kids Degrassi street, you were just a kid. Did you like, did you show the interest uh, or did your parents like, did they introduce, introduce it to you? I think what happened is it all, it all happened rather organically. And it was me that took the first move, okay. which is good. I'm, I'm kind of glad, you know, it happened that way. Um, yeah. My parents really know nothing about the industry. Okay. So they're not stage parents no, at all. They weren't pushing you going, come on, honey, fulfill my dreams. No, no totally. Uh, but they were supportive. They were very supportive. Yeah. And um, I mean, I was, I was a, uh, reading at a really high level early on. I was just really into the reading, um, performing. I wasn't like the most extroverted person. I'm more of an introvert. So, but my grade one teacher, um, I guess, cause she saw that I was such an avid reader and I could memorize lines. She put me in some of her early plays and I, I loved playing characters and that kind of, then she started giving me the, like the lead roles and that just kind of took off from there. And like you said, stage is a much more um, kind of satisfying feeling. Like it's a more of an immediate response. Yeah. Right. And I just loved that feeling. Um, and you're not being yourself when you're performing. So you can still be, you know, kind of a shy person in your everyday life, but when you're in a role, you're like, <laughs> you can sure. put it all out there. Absolutely. So I, I enjoyed that feeling and I just, I uh, had stumbled, I was taking some enrichment classes, I remember during the summer and that's when I found the stack of flyers that said kids wanted audition and I was intrigued. I, I brought it home to my parents and said, I want to do this and uh, they, they didn't stop me. <laughs> and they encouraged you and, and you went on and, and you went on to, yeah. on to Degrassi and then you stayed within that Degrassi family for a long time. Um, when I don't want to fast forward past those years, but I also don't want to focus entirely on those years. Um, cause I could fanboy out, but I won't, um, <laughs> uh, after, <laughs> after 90, after school, like was schools out the movie, was that the last thing you did with Degrassi before obviously the, the reboot and everything, was that the last episode or was it, that was it, right? Was that the last things you guys filmed together? Um, yes. Uh, let's see, wait, no. Was we did we did schools out yeah and then um we had degrassi talks right right which is what yeah. this book that i put was based on or vice versa one of the two so you did do have have some more when you're done that and you said like is that when university called is it that did that is that is that what the, what what that evolution was then when when you were or were you interested in going to LA and being more of an actor or what, what, what happened then? I think um, first it was university and it was around the time after we did schools out and also during Degrassi talks. So then we got busy with Degrassi talks for a while, but um, 
that's when, yeah, I was starting to explore the whole university route. What do I want to do? Do I want to go to LA? LA was a little further off my radar at that point. But um, I think a few years after that, it then became, uh, it became much more blaring because my uh, agent at the time was moving out to LA to become a manager. And she was trying to encourage me to, to come along or that she would represent me when I was out there. So and did that I was happen? starting to think. Did you head out there? I did. I didn't go right away when she first uh, suggested it. It took me probably another year or two. Yeah. Because um, I was terrified. I was, and again, I was still trying to figure out, do I want to go to university? I was going to go to the Randolph School of Art. Uh, maybe um, there was just, I was trying to, really struggling to figure out what I wanted to do. That was a hard time. Um, And yeah, I was terrified of the concept of going to LA. Now I have dual citizenship. So in that sense, it made sense and it would have been easier. But I mean, we're talking, I really didn't have, I didn't know how to drive. I didn't um, didn't have a lot of money. I'd spent a lot of my money on rent and treating my friends and stuff. I went a bit crazy. Oh, that's not crazy, crazy, but yeah, but yeah after the well, show. Actually, that's interesting because I, I was going to, at first I thought about talking about being a child actor and falling into the pitfalls of being a child actor, um, which seems to be a much more American thing. But I, I guess you, you, you felt some of that as well along the way. Did, like, did you leave while you were filming Degrassi? Were you living at home with your parents still? Did you move out immediately as soon as you could? Well, my story might be different from some of the other cast members. Mine might be a little more American-like, but uh, I think the main difference is we didn't have the the cash flow that American actors had. Right, right. The producers certainly made a lot of money, but we weren't making tons of no. money as the actors. Uh, it was non-union, right? So right. a lot of people don't know that. And um, uh, I was actually given an ultimatum at the age of 17 Uh to, to move out if um, I didn't go to the school that my mom wanted me to go to. My parents had split. So there's a whole... That's a lot of change right there. Family life was very um, stressful. Sure. At that age. And I opted... Now, I'm really, really fortunate that I had the money to be able to move out. But So that's why a lot of my money did go towards paying rent at an early age um, and just supporting myself. Um, so you're 17, working on... Uh, re- re- were there education? I guess they had to have tutors on, on set. Did they, did they, did you guys do high school? Did you finish high school while you're doing, while you're playing high school student? Like, how did that work? Yeah, they had, they had a tutor on set. Um, <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't say it like that. She was a tutor, but it wasn't, it really wasn't enforced the way a union set is enforced. Wow. I've seen the difference now because I've been on the set of the next generation. It's night and day. Our tutor <laughs> also did West rug. You guys. She was like a, a babysitter for us. I mean, there's yeah. so, and there's so many of us. We're like, there's on any given day, there's like 20 of us crammed in a room together. You can go off in other rooms, but she's not there to help you with your personal work or what it was. It was a bit of a joke to be honest, but I, uh, I had fast tracked through high school. So I had gotten my OACs 
um, my Ontario academic credits. You needed a Grade certain 13 number. for anybody who's listening. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, sorry. So I don't know how it's done now. Exactly. No, well, they got rid of OACs now here in Ontario as well. Right? That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. So now you have like a year where you're supposed to go to college and then you go to university and, or a lot of kids do a gap oh. year. Yeah. They do a gap year. They take a year. Okay. See, I'm so out of the loop. Oh. But what I did was because I'd focused on getting my Ontario academic credits, which you need a certain, I had, I, uh, I had all my other credits, but I was just shy um, of the getting my... for your actual OSSD, the Ontario yeah, Secondary School. Yeah, so I was shy OSSD. a credit or two to actually right to, to go. Um, so I still graduated, but yeah, yeah. So that's so all not really on. the same. <laughs> so, but you're so you're 17, 18 years old, uh, working actor, going you know finishing high school and renting in Toronto. And you partied it up a little bit, right? Like, you know, had some fun. Basically, well, you just, you get lazy. You start like um, not cooking. So you order out a lot. So just things like ordering in or eating out, taking yeah. cabs. Sure. <laughs> I was a big, I think people joked around that I was, I would, cause I was always running late and I would take cabs to like get places. Well, and growing up, that up. now, did you grow up? I know you were born in the States, uh, did you, but you were raised in Toronto. Yes, I had my first birthday in Canada. Right. So my family immigrated to Canada when, you know, I was a baby. Well, um, my wife is uh, from Toronto, like East End Toronto, like I am. And she still doesn't have her license. She, she, she doesn't. <laughs> well, you don't really. You don't need, you don't it, need it as much in Canada. Yeah. You don't. But in LA, you everything is LA. so much more spread out. Yeah. So it was totally my plan that I would go out there and I brought, um, I brought Bill Parrott with me, uh, who's my friend from the show who played Shane. Okay. Because he wanted to go and check it out and audition there for a bit. So the deal was we would uh, split the rent of wherever we stayed. Okay. And uh, he would teach me how to drive. <laughs> Sounds like a good deal. And for those of you who don't remember, I'll, I'll speak to the Degrassi nerds now. Shane, of course, was Spike's baby daddy and took acid and ended up really messed up. So uh, <laughs> that's it in a nutshell. That's it in a nutshell. That's Sorry. Um, what kind of clout, if that, as the kids say today, what kind of clout does an actor who had as much experience as you did in Canada carry in L.A.? Any at all? <laughs> not at all oh my gosh it was that's what i mean like did they know you come with your resume your resume is huge (laughs) with all this episodic television and what happened degrassi what's that where's canada (laughs) (laughs) so no um was a transition that maybe didn't go as well as you thought it would well What's good is I didn't have high expectations because, again, I'm this like nervous, shy um, girl moving to the, you know, I knew I was a a big fish coming to a huge pond. (laughs) So, um, but it was still, it was almost a little insulting how the attitude of some of these, I took some meetings and I was lucky to get in these meetings because at least I had the representation to do that. Right. But um, and I still got sent out quite a bit. But yeah, the attitude was was almost downright rude from some of these people. Really? There's like snobby, snob, 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 snob. So they and it was down upon your experience. Oh, oh, big time. It's like oh, Degrassi. 
oh, oh, it's Canadian. And I'm like, well, it's, it's really big in Canada. Oh, Canada. Wow. <laughs> like, who cares? Wow. So, yeah, that was the attitude. Um, not everybody. There were some people. And there were some, there was the odd people that were fans of the show which was nice. This is right. like, oh, recognition. Right, because it was on PBS in the United States. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, and that, of course, would lead us to the conversation about the Kevin Smith connection and <laughs> how, what a fan he was. Now, obviously, at that time, he was struggling. You know, I, you, what the years we're talking about, I don't even think Clerks would have been out yet. You know, no, you're no. in LA, right? So this is a, an interesting time for you. Uh, how, so you go out there, you, you don't get the gigs, do you decide to come back? Did you like? Actually, Clerks, I think Clerks had just come out because when I went to L.A., just before I went to L.A., okay. I'd auditioned for Mallrats. Okay. So, yeah. So that would have been, yeah. So so, yeah. Would have been out. You, 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 <laughs> it took me a second. So you auditioned. I did not. Okay. So I have to ask, how did you, what <laughs> you auditioned for Mallrats like in person with? Well, yeah. Um, so this was before my, uh, my agent had gone out to L.A. and, uh, Kevin had met with me in the restaurant that I was working at. In LA? Uh, no, in, in, in Canada, in okay. Toronto. And, um, and then I guess, it, but it was a year later that then he, I think it was about a year later that he asked uh, my agent if I could fly out to LA to audition for Mallrats. Um, now I didn't, I couldn't afford to fly out to LA because right. I've been working on Degrassi. Uh, and um, I, uh, so I self-taped. I just did the audition and, and sent it in. Now, I'm not sure exactly what happened from there, um, but I think I read somewhere later that um, Universal wanted to go with Shannon because she's a bigger name. Right. Um, so... Because me, again, I'm from Canada. It's, <laughs> exactly, it's apparently is like a big handicap apparently at that time. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. seem to be. Let me so okay, I just I just need to ask and I, and I won't like I said I'm not going to concentrate just on this stuff. We're going to talk about the other things okay. I'm doing. You're you're wait you're waiting tables at a at a restaurant in Toronto and you randomly serve Kevin Smith? No, it was it wasn't random. Okay. It wasn't random. What what happened um he'd actually Oh my gosh, let's see. So I was working at this restaurant called Bedali's on Front Street. I remember Bedali, Joe Bedali. Yeah. I was I was a Bedali girl for oh, a while. And this is post very, very humbling. I was gonna say this is post schools out, post Degrassi Talks. Post Degrassi, and it's right by the CBC. So I'd end up like serving like oh. producers and stuff and other actors. It was very humbling and it was a pretty low time in my life. How did you deal but, with that? Before we before we, I don't want to oh. how did you deal with it? what got you through that? my friends yeah. Liza was doing it with I don't know if you know Liza Fromer from sure. Breakfast Television we yeah. were living together we were roommates for a while okay. and we were both working there Paul McGuire who is a host as well so we were all kind of people who are you know, in business but also you know you got to make ends meet exactly exactly um so you're at Joe Bedali's okay so he wasn't so, and we, meeting so we'd had a Christmas party uh, at the restaurant that night. So I was, um, I'd had too much to drink and I'd gone home and I get a phone call. I'm pretty much passed out, but I get this phone call. Uh, Pat's having a Christmas party and Kevin is there and Kevin is asking why I'm not there. And 
can I come? And I'm just like, there's no way I can go anywhere <laughs> right now. I would not do myself any good leaving <laughs> exactly. another party. Exactly. Um, but so he, and I didn't remember this, made plans that we would meet at my restaurant because I had to work the early shift the next morning. <laughs> Don't even know how I made it. I probably barely made it for my morning shift because I was so hungover. We've all been. But, um, and I totally forgot that I made these plans with him or that I'd even had this conversation. And sure enough, there he is with his friend Malcolm. And uh, they're sitting in a booth waiting for me to get the coffees going and everything. Oh, my gosh. So I was able to slip in and have a, a bit of a a conversation a with meeting him. <laughs> you took, yes you took a meeting hung over at joba dolly's <laughs> and I, later that same day i got sent home for spilling spaghetti sauce on somebody <laughs> it's a day of ups and downs right <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's a roller coaster of a day um I, how does i mean i guess this is more for a question for pat mastriani but how does pat mastriani hold a, a party and kevin smith is there like well, I guess because um, we had a common friend, I guess somehow Kevin knew a common friend of ours okay. who was a journalist. Okay. And I think so she was invited to Pat's party and okay. Kevin came that way. And <laughs> were you upset that you weren't invited to Pat's party? Did you not know? I, I, I'm sure I was invited, but it was <laughs> but you were working. it was a work party. So and it was a lot closer and I oh. didn't drive, you know, so right. I'm sure there was a a very good excuse why I wasn't there. <laughs> so in between that, you know, you returned to TV in the early 2000s uh, with a, with, with kind of a regular spot on Degrassi, the next generation. What did you do in those years? Like besides wait tables at Joe Badali's, like you went to LA, learned to drive. Thanks to, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that took a while. <laughs> took a while. You did learn to drive. What, uh, how's your driving by the way now? <laughs> My driving is great. Okay. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I had finding a car that was reliable um, I, because I remember I, I didn't have a lot of money. So I yeah. I bought the crappiest cars that were constantly breaking down all over L.A. My uh, I know the feeling all too well. Yeah, <laughs> remember the first time we met, I was maintenance at Gerard Square Mall. So you can imagine <laughs> the kind of money I was making then. And I was driving right. a 1975 Buick Century. So I, I feel your pain. Although and no, and things like no power steering make a big difference too, because I'd be like having to crank <laughs> the wheel, you know, and like. So you come, so you come back to Toronto, or you come back to Canada. Um, it's a few years before you start acting again, or at least you start acting in anything that I, I might be. Uh, you, were you still auditioning? Did you come back and, and start auditioning more in Canada as opposed to LA, or what, no? So cool, like. I was actually still in LA when I started working on uh, the oh, Next okay. Generation. Okay. I was, I stayed in LA for surprisingly about 10, about 10 years. Wow. Um, yeah, I didn't expect it, but what happened is, um, well, a few things. I got a few uh, gigs here and there. I would do guest appearances, um, a few independent movies. Great. So I was keeping afloat. Yeah. A working and then actor. I was in a relationship. Yeah. I, I ended up in a relationship for five and a half years. So pretty much common law marriage <laughs> and I ended up having a relationship um with a grandfather who I'd never really been close to before my my mom's parents live out there oh wow and my grandmother passed away and my grandfather kind of went downhill after that happened and uh 
ended up with severe dementia and prostate cancer. And essentially I was the only family there, even though he was like an hour away from where I was in LA, he was in Glendale. So I would drive uh, over to him and keep checking in on him. He wasn't eating. There was definitely some issues going on. I actually ended up having to call an ambulance and long story short, I ended up having to move him from his house and find a place for him to live, um, like a, a senior's uh, residence and um, became a caregiver. Essentially, I would help him out. I would visit him every week. Um, he had caregivers there, of course, too. Um, but so basically, I was, uh, I stayed in LA a lot longer than I probably would have otherwise because of relationships with my grandfather and my love. <laughs> what was <laughs> that, that time? Yeah, absolutely. What was that like? Um, I mean, it sounds like you were pretty independent from a really young age, you know, 17, get the ultimatum and out you go. So what's that like to reconnect with or to connect, not even reconnect, to connect with a family member? Like, how did that, uh, how did that evolution change you? How did, how, what kind of perspective does that give you? Well, it was, it was an eye-opening experience for sure. That was a whole other segment of my life, like a whole chapter in itself for sure. Um, so I had been visiting my grandparents, but they're very, um, they're not, they're very private people. So it'd be like maybe a visit once a month because the house has to be in order. Like you could never just drop in unexpectedly. They're not those kind of people. Um, everything has to be just so, but lovely, lovely people. Um, but yeah, as soon as my grandmother uh, passed, my, my grandfather, uh, he took that turn for the worst. And so suddenly, yeah, I was, I was still trying to get to know him, but then suddenly that granddaughter grandfather relationship changed to caregiver grandfather. Cause I'm trying to help him pee into a cup yeah. at the hospital, yeah. you know, and it's like, this, this, the line has been crossed now and it's, it's it was, it was bittersweet. It's like, but I, I still, I cherish the, you know, our visits. He would sometimes get confused and think I was, his girlfriend <laughs> you would yeah. tell like these nuns yeah. in the waiting room that I'm his girlfriend <laughs> you know funny things like that he was the sweetest man and I do like, love our time yeah it sounds like a one of those one of those experiences that at the time maybe when you're going through it again there's something you know I've, I've been through it with family members as well where you're like you want to give them their dignity you want to give them their you know their privacy but they need this help and you want to do it and you know, you, those lines get blurred about relationships. You know, this particular podcast is about change. If I do another podcast or if I change, if I pivot the way that my next one is going to be about roles, like the roles we play in life, because I think, I think the best life is the life where you realize that we all play different roles. You know, you're a mom, yeah. you're a granddaughter, you're, you know, all the roles and it, and in balancing those roles, I think is uh, essential to having, and I'm sure you can talk about that given what you do for a living now as a, as a wellness coach. Um, mm -hmm. And I will, I, well, let's fast forward a little bit to that right now. And I, so I want to ask a little bit about revisiting uh, Degrassi afterwards. And, you know, you guys have had, uh, you've done the, the Comic-Con thing now, and you've done uh, your own Degrassi Palooza and you've done all the, and, <laughs> and what that, how, I want to know how that, how that felt revisiting all that and seeing and how it felt, realizing how deep of an impact that show had and your character specifically had on people 
But let's talk a little bit about about that first, about about what you're doing now. Let's talk about. Um, I'm looking at your website right now. It says beginner fitness program, stronger with Stacy. How did that come to be? Well, um, so yeah, that's something else that I didn't mention when I was in LA, um, towards, uh, towards the end of my time there, uh, well, one of the, I had like, as well as doing gigs here and there, of course I had to support myself. So I was, I pretty much had every part-time job imaginable <laughs> and then some. One of my jobs was working at Gold's Fitness in Hollywood. And from that, you know, I met a few trainers and I bonded with one really close friend who kept trying to encourage me that I should I should get into that because he would train me sometimes just for free. And I liked working out. And um, he uh, introduced me to the late Michael Thurmond, who was uh, a former bodybuilding champion and um, was running his own company called Extreme Body Makeovers, uh, Body Makeover Systems, sorry. Um, And he was having a course, uh, like a six week course where he was training people to work for his company. So I started there. Um, I learned, I learned a lot from him and then got certified in the States. And so I started working in LA as a fitness trainer. And when I came back to Canada, I right away got recertified. It's a different certification. You have to get certified, you know, in whatever country you're living in. So I had to get recertified, take a course all over again and get certified. Then I found out I was pregnant (laughs) and I could have still trained because I was given some job offers to work at different gyms, but, um, I decided I was just going to, you know, be a mom for a bit and focus on that. And when my, both my kids, I have two kids now, uh, were both school ready, uh, of age to go to school. I was starting to get restless and I was just like, I really want to be around adults again. (laughs) I really want (laughs) to be working. Um, so I got recertified again. I took the course. And then on top of that, I took the wellness course, which is a different certification. That's more about the nutrition side of things and how we eat and what we should be eating. Um, Cause it's more, I wanted to be as well-rounded as possible in my knowledge. Um, and the whole reason I got into the fitness was because of my own past of self-abuse of, you know, eating disorders and, um, uh, over-exercising and just, yeah, not being healthy at all. So, um, this way, at least I could educate myself and help others at the same time. Did you recognize your issues yourself or did somebody have to point it out to you? I think I always knew, and maybe in a way, part of me wanted somebody to notice. Cause I always think that's a part of it. Right. When you're right. like, cause nobody on set noticed, like, I don't know why, like, even on schools out, like I was skinny mini. I went from being like a chubby teenager, not like, I never had like a weight problem per se, but I went through a period where I suddenly gained like a lot of weight and I didn't know what to do. And I just, it stressed me out. Um, And, uh, but anyway, I was getting smaller and smaller. And even my roommate, Neil, who saw me like exercising all the time, he was dealing with his own stuff. So he didn't know. But it, I, I think it was finally when 
a guy I was dating said that his friend asked if I was anorexic. And I don't know why, but that kind of stopped me in my tracks. And it's kind of like, I'm used to people saying things about my body and stuff. Cause that's partly why the eating disorders happen in the first place. Cause you're very, you're hyper aware of people talking about how much you weigh and how you look on screen. It's unfortunately but, part of the culture, right? Yeah. Well, and thank goodness we didn't have social media like we do back then. Right. Sure. Um, but still, you know, People are always talking to like, wow, you look bigger on TV or you look skinnier in person, you know, and as a teenager, you, you, and I'm, I'm sensitive in, in, in general, you, you really take those things to heart. Um, but so, yeah, I think that was a bit of a wake up call. Cause I realized I'm not, I was like, I'm not anorexic, but uh, I'm bulimic. <laughs> uh, right. So you, and did you seek outside help or did you make this change all on your own? Um, it's kind of sad. I, I sought help from my doc, my family doctor. She was an older woman. And I think I, I, like I went a year without my period and I was trying to explain that to her. I'm like, um, it's because I'm, you know, I'm doing these things that I, I, you know, I'm, yeah, yeah, I think I need some help. And she kind of like sloughed it off the first time. So I'm just like, Oh, okay. The next time I think I was probably more blunt and I was just like, I need, I need to go somewhere or see yeah, somebody. Some so she gave me a list of clinics to call. Um, so at least that was something. And I, I, I did go to one group therapy session, but part of my thing was I was terrified of getting recognized. So there was no anonymity in this. In a group setting. especially. Group. Yeah. And so I really just kind of felt out of place wow. and I didn't really give it a chance. So I kind of, but even just going to that and hearing some of the other people's stories was a wake up call as well. And so from that moment, I was kind of like, I think I, I, I went into acceptance mode, denials turned to acceptance. And I was like, okay, this isn't good. I got to do something. Right. And, um, that was, so I pretty much did it myself, I guess, at that point. It's amazing. You can make the change when you're ready. I think this is one of the things I've learned. I'm 20 some odd episodes into doing this, talking to people about change. And, you know, we talk about different types of change. We talk about the change that we want to make, the change that we should make. We talk about changes that are thrust upon us that we don't want at all and how we deal with those, but the change of make of doing something that in your in your heart you know is right even though it's hard be it because of addiction reasons or mental health reasons it's what i found is really interesting is the that tipping point if you will is always different for different people yeah but it's about recognizing it totally and and you did your one group session or i don't know how many group sessions you did no it was just the one just one group session and you realized i need to i need to change i need to fix myself and yeah. thank God, and it's thank like, God. I don't want to end up like this. Yeah. Yeah. You saw these, it's like a cautionary tale, right? Yeah. So now here you are, um, coaching, uh, obviously COVID has affected everybody, but I would mm-hmm. think that, um, you're doing, you've got these packages that you're, that you're doing where you, uh, get to know your clients and, but it's all virtual. It's almost, I'm not going to say easier, but I mean, isn't it interesting that, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? Like, so here yeah. we are, here we are in the middle of this, 
Um, how long have you been uh, making a go at it this way, like trying to make a living out of being a, a life and wellness coach? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, uh, I mean, obviously I did, I was working when I was in LA, um, but it was in gyms. Right. Um, but starting my own business, I was just gearing up right before the pandemic hit. Right. So yeah, I had to suddenly kind of veer. Yeah. And what's good is that it was the kick in the pants I needed to really like, I didn't even have a website. So I, you know, had to sit down and figure out making this website, um, figuring out, yeah, how I was going to do it. Um, I'm not, I'm not very good technologically at all. <laughs> so it was a huge learning curve, huge learning curve. And I know so many people are in the same boat, but um, I, I guess the advantage for me was that because I was just kind of starting, at least I didn't have to make that big change uh, from, from doing one thing that I'd already established. I mean, I was just starting to get like my gym downstairs ready for clients and stuff, but at least I can still use that, uh, because I do the, my free workouts downstairs that I, I record and then put on YouTube for people. Yeah. And then you also do one-on-ones and group sessions. And it's an interesting, yeah. it's an interesting perspective of saying, you know, it's actually almost fortunate that you didn't have a roster of regular clients who were coming to your house and then have to re figure out how to make it work for them. This is, yeah. this is the new normal, right? And this is what you're doing. Um, well, um, again, that I'll, I'll, I'll plug that at stacymystician.com for that. And I highly recommend reading the, my why page. I think it's very, it's a very, very touching and very personal. Um, Thank you. you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's a, it's, 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 it's something that's for sure. I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's, 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 it's I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm so happy that you've, you've chosen to, to share such personal things with me and on your, and to read it on your, uh, on your website gives it that much more power. Um, so there's that angle of what you're doing. You're also right now, you had mentioned earlier, you're preparing for, we'll, we'll, we'll pivot back to Degrassi a little bit here. Uh, you're preparing for a, an online auction that you guys are doing. Um, yes. with, uh, some Degrassi. So let's go back. You and Pat got together. I think you guys are kind of the catalyst for this whole reunion thing that happened over the course of the last, what, five years or so. Yeah, really. Pat gets all the credit for that. Pat Mastriani, who played Joey Jeremiah. Yes. Um, you know, Degrassi Palooza was his baby. Yeah. That was his like, I'm going to do it for me. I'm going to do it for kid. I'm going to get the cast together. And this will be like our last for all this will be, you know, and he made the documentary out of it. And yeah. um, I love him for it. It was great. It was, I really had mixed feelings about it at the beginning. Um, Did you? Can you tell me why? Yeah, because it was, it was a part of my past that I guess has both as Amanda and I, Amanda who played Spike, right. We, we became very close after the show ended and, um, DJ duo, by the way. Yeah, DJing. And we were working on our own show together. Okay. Um, about, you know, these two characters that used to be former child stars. And because one of the things that has stuck with us is how the, the past can haunt you. And it's like you, you, you want to both embrace the shadow of your past because you can't really escape it. So you have to learn how to, to embrace it. And um, I hadn't fully embraced it yet. <laughs> Because the past also reminded me of a lot of darker times 
you know, as you can see from my why page and from, you know, having to move out at an early age. Yeah. And I hadn't seen a lot of these cast members in a long time. And I didn't know what kind of memories it was all going to bring up. And um, wasn't sure I was ready for, for that. It was, I get overwhelmed emotionally very easily. I, I do have general anxiety and I, I felt, I wasn't sure how I was going to handle it. Um, but it was really nice. It was, it turned out to be really nice and it was well organized thanks to Pat. And it was, it was actually lovely seeing, you know, so many of my cast members, my former cast members. And uh, yeah, it was, I'm glad I went. <laughs> sure. The whole thing was, that was a culmination. There had been screenings of schools out and, uh, and I know like yourself and I think Stefan and a couple other had gone, uh, uh, I can't remember the actress name who played Tessa Campanelli. Um, oh, uh, Kirsten. Kirsten. You guys went across Canada and did some Comic Cons and stuff like that. Yes. And so that must have been an interesting evolution for you to figure out how, like, how did it, how did it feel to have those, com those one, because you were meeting people, you were, people were, were coming up and meeting you guys. Like, how do you have all these personal, and people forget this, you have all these personal feelings wrapped up in that show in that character in what was going on in your life as you're playing that character that are completely aside from that character and from, right. from that time and these people are coming up idiots like me coming up and saying oh my god i loved you in this and you know and 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 show you little things from 30 years ago how did you how did you how did you synthesize all that how did you bring that together but you know what that that's kind of a nice part of it yeah because it's an escape you know in a way it's kind of like yeah because that part um, that's the enjoyable part of it is what people got out of it. And the fact that they liked you doing your character or whatever, that's, that's the great part of it. And that's why doing these comic cons, it's, it's so, it makes you feel good, <laughs> right? Because good. these are good. people that are coming to see you because they like you. And that's, good <laughs> that's good to hear. That's good. To, I'm glad, I'm glad that it was a good experience because yeah. you know, that show, I mean, I'm sure you've heard it so many times. But I mean, obviously groundbreaking. Did you know it was special while you were doing it or was it just a job? I think we knew it was special maybe about halfway through. At the beginning, um, it was never really just a job. I think I was pretty wide-eyed the whole time that like, this well, is pretty cool that we're, we're doing this. Pretty crazy stuff for stuff that hadn't been <laughs> talked about on national television. I still, yeah. remember, I still remember, I have an image of like, Caitlin's a lesbian, you know, like it's one of the lines, you know, like you had you because you had you had a dream, your character had a yeah. dream about what well, the teacher, and I just like I can remember <laughs> being whatever, 12 years old, 13 years old. Caitlin's a lesbian at 8:30 on CBC, you know, and it was and watching it with my mom, you know, which is what a lot of people did. And real and and then you know, it comes so much later to realize how kind of you know, important in, in pop culture the show was. And even, and even though it wasn't, it was like a non-union, not a high paying show, we were still making more than you would get from like your average retail job or whatever. You were working so, at McDonald's, right. You were, it wasn't 4.25 an hour. No. And our hours were much longer. So it was yes. a big commitment. So, yeah. I mean, in that sense, we grew up, we had a lot of responsibility. Absolutely. So in that sense, it was never felt like, it felt like a special job because it was different from what our friends were doing. Right. Um, and they could never maybe really fully understand what we were doing. It was a very different kind of, it was like an, um, 
an alternate universe going on. <laughs> Absolutely. For sure. So now you're going through boxes. So let's talk about the, uh, the auction. <laughs> let's talk about what the, uh, is the uh, what the auction is for. I know, I think it starts tomorrow, doesn't it? I, it'll it'll yes. probably, by the time this gets published, it'll be already be ongoing. So let's talk about what's on the auction and what, it's, what you guys are doing. Okay. So Pat and I have gone through, I guess over the years, we've accumulated tons of scripts, tons of photos. Some are stills from the show. Um, uh, lots of like folders, tons of articles, um, some clothing, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that we've accumulated over the years that are kind of like, I was sure I'm going to keep some stuff for my kids, but what else are we really going to do with all this stuff? So let's offer it up to the fans. Um, and he's got a ton of stuff. I've got a ton of stuff. There's something that my dad gave me that I'm auctioning off that are some of the original concepts for the uh, the opening of Degrassi Junior High and High because my dad actually worked on those. Like the, the graphics you mean? Like the like the, the opening the opening credits? Well some of the storyboards. He has Storyboard. yeah some of the oh, cool. yeah some of the storyboards and nice. the stills that he took because it's a sequence of you know for graphic design or animation you have to do like shot by shot by shot of the movement. So there's like a sequence of photos of the person grabbing the books at the beginning. Um, it's some cool stuff. And we've made them into a collage, a few collages that Amazing. people can that, frame and, if they want to. And, and, and of course they'll frame it. Of course they will. Come on. <laughs> well, whatever they want to do. Of course they will. Um, <laughs> let, um, be, uh, I'm trying to think what I'm going to ask next because I have two, two silly questions. One silly question and one good question. <laughs> Um, how does Stefan Borgen feel about you getting credit for saying the word fuck first when it was really Stefan who said it first in the scene on schools out? So, so Stefan Brogren, uh, this Brogren, is, yeah, sorry. this is a bone of contention. Is it a big thing? I, I, has, has it <laughs> well, not really. It's kind of a joke that we have between us because okay. he's, he's always sure though. I've noticed he's always sure to point out the fact that he, he said it first, but well, you get the yeah. credit for it. The, you, well, I think everyone was more shocked hearing it from Caitlin. That is true. And I said it twice. I said you a did. few things. You did. You know what? You, you did. And you know what? I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. The, 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 it's the shock value. Snake losing his mind and saying it isn't such a, isn't, isn't so far out of character for Snake. Right. I, I actually got mail from people that were like, I can't believe that's so out of character of Caitlin. Like that's, that's, she shouldn't have said that. That's why she should have said it. They gave it all the power. <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. And we shot the ulterior, um, um, the alternate words like broomhead or right. I forget what the other one was. It just doesn't have the same impact. No. I mean, <laughs> no. Did you do you remember reading the script and going, really, we're going to say this? Like, do, like, do, what was your reaction when you saw that? Do you remember seeing the script? Um, I do remember seeing the script. I'm not sure if they put the actual words in at the end. Oh, like they might have actually, I think, well, I think they must have, but they said we're shooting two versions because okay. we did shoot two versions because they weren't sure what was going to fly and what wasn't. Right. So, um, but on the day, I was quite delighted that I was going to get to to sure. actually say the words. Because I mean, it's hard when you're in the heat of the moment to then let's say broom hit. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as organic. <laughs> no, exactly. You you slept with Tessa Campanelli just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. You freaked. Yeah, you. <laughs> you freaked. 
Well, that's the uh, the whenever you used to watch television before we lived in an on-demand world. Remember, TBS used to show movies all the time and they would put, you know, they would replace all the swear words. I remember watching The Breakfast Club and they would always replace the swear words with non-swear words like they like or there's yeah. you know, there are snakes on a plane. I'm so sick of these monkey flying planes. <laughs> these monkey flying monkey flying snakes on oh this mother god. to father i think it's mother to father plane is one. oh my god um that's that was a lot to dub in or oh my god yes it's true it's true i heard i actually heard a rumor that samuel jackson did it himself he actually was willing to do it for for the, for the <laughs> broadcast version of the show oh that's funny as opposed to getting somebody who does uh uh, impersonation sorry but well, I, I, yeah i don't blame him this is, power, <laughs> this is the power of a podcast you can we can digress a little bit like this um, <laughs> of course. uh so the auction starts i guess they can get your uh get that through all your social media you've got an instagram you're you're all over yes. the place. are you tiktoking yet i actually just did joined you? the tiktok did recently TikTok? yeah I, it's funny i get asked if i'm on tiktok and i always feel like i'm too old but i bet you your instagram videos are, are great by the way you're <laughs> Thank you're you. always you had an, today we're recording this on saint patrick's day and today you had a whole green thing going on and <laughs> you're, you're working it for somebody who said you're not that technically minded you're, you're, i have you're, a bit of help hard. though Do you? I, and granted i've had to learn a lot social media stresses me out does it? I'm not going to lie. It is so much work. Um, but I know you need to do the work. Yes. You know, to, you to reach out to people. So no for people to, to spread the word, right? That's and because we're all virtual now, it's we're so reliant on it. So that's why I joined TikTok is to help reach out to more people. My friend, my partner who um, runs the fitness program with me, Jen Schlumberger, she, uh, she's my go-to for the social media. So she'll help, she helps film my workouts and sometimes she'll, she'll help me put these things together or answer my, my zillion questions when I'm texting her and saying, how do I do this? She'll, uh, she'll calm me down. Is there any acting (laughs) in the future for you? I, I still audition every now and then. I'm just more particular about what I go out for. Um, But I actually find that now that we're doing a lot more self-taping, uh, I can handle that. It's much easier for me. I don't have to drop everything and be a slave to the business as much. Yeah. And my anxiety doesn't go through the roof. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, like I said, necessity is the mother of all invention. I think some things are going to, we're going to come out on the other side of this with some things being yeah. better. You know, I really do. I think, I think we're going to come out with some things are changing, you know, permanently for yeah, some we're not much going back better to a yeah. certain way. Absolutely. Um, when you think about, I'll uh, ask you one kind of big grandiose question. Um, when you think, no, it's when you think about, and again, this is under the umbrella of the, the podcast being about change. When you think about all the changes that you've been through in your, in your life, what do you like, what, what do you think is the most important thing that uh, is there a, a certain characteristic that has helped get you through those changes? Uh, believing in yourself is, I think it took me a long time to really have that confidence and believe in myself and that insecurity eats into everything that you do. And you can't be the best you want to be at as a mother, as what, in whatever profession you're doing as a partner, the more you can just believe in yourself and have faith in yourself 
um, it will ground you and just make you better. And, and uh, going along with that, it's not just believing in yourself. Um, it's, it's not beating yourself up over things, not being hard. I am notorious for just being hard on myself and beating myself up when I don't do something the way I think I should do it. And I've learned to kind of let that go because I see it in my kids now too, right? I'm like, I don't want them to pick that up. It's, it's like, it's okay. You can like, just let yourself make mistakes and just, you know, just learn from them. I'm going to have a I think I could have an entire episode of just uh, talking to people about the changes that they've realized because of their children and, <laughs> you know, and, and what, what kind of a change it is to have a child and then what you learn from them. And especially when you see the things that you don't like about yourself so much in them and you're like, oh, I, I totally did that. I instilled that in them and I didn't mean to do that. Um, yeah. I, I think you're right. I think self-confidence and in giving yourself a break. Give yourself, you know, let yourself off the hook yes. every now and then, you know? It's yeah, not, that's, that's pretty much what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. It's great. Cut yourself some slack. <laughs> Cut yourself some slack. Well, if you want, although all that being said, if you want Stacy to kick your ass <laughs> working out uh, and not cut yourself the slack and give you, you know, I, I, working out with somebody is always a great way to uh, make sure that you have those checks and balances and uh, give you the perspective to keep moving. And I have no doubt just getting to know you a little bit here and knowing your story a little bit uh, that you are a, a, I bet you you're a pretty great life coach and a pretty great wellness coach, a pretty great fitness coach. So I highly recommend going and working with Stacy. It's stacymystician.com for all that. And you're on all the socials. You're everywhere. Uh, as we all have Except to Twitter. I'm not, on, I'm Twitter. not on, Twitter. <laughs> on Twitter. That's okay. Twitter is a sewer. Don't go to Twitter. I'm on Twitter. And I like it's a sewer. Like if I actually if you actually took used Twitter as your barometer for what the world is like, you would just you would not want to ever leave your house. It's just a horrible place. So don't worry. Don't be on Twitter. Um, I don't think I can handle one more. <laughs> oh, exactly. As uh, as a as a as a human being, thank you. Uh, as a fan, as the guy who you signed this book for. <laughs> Um, I cannot thank you enough for doing this. It really means a lot to me. I'm a huge fan and, um, I'm, I consider myself fortunate to be able to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much. Yay. Thanks, Bob. We got to stop making sense. This has been Bob's basement. Thanks for listening. Thanks. That's the way it is. For more information, email Bob at Bob at gmail.com. That's Bob Willette. like Gillette. With a W. Follow Bob on Twitter at Bob Willett. Bob's Basement is available where you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time. Well, that's the way it is.